The deepest sense of connection can only become possible when we find the point of contact between all the parts of ourselves, and then from that state of unity, connect with the unity within someone else. And then it's really a trip when you find out that at the foundation of everything is just the unity of God. Like, it's all just one thing. Whew, that's intense. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously, welcome back. Whew, here we are. Great episode today. Such a good guest. And such a good topic. Kind of really relates to our uh, Making Marriage Great Again series and uh, really trying to round out this Sphero series, which is, you know, this is really the time for those of you actively engaged in the Sphero thing or will want to re-engage it where you have to really kind of lean in like, uh, you know, in the last two weeks, Netzach and Hoda really prepared us to lean into the Sphero process because Lag Bomer has passed and the excitement of the initial phase of contemplating the Midos and the Spheros and all these things has kind of faded and the weather's getting nice and we want to get outside and we're just distracted from kind of all this self-development stuff. So now we get to like really lean in to what we love most. But first, before we get to all those conversations, I want to welcome you to the Consciously Podcast and thank you for joining us. I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five star, to give us five stars and also a written review on any of the podcast formats that you listen to us on. It actually really helps. It helps let other people know that we exist, but also, more importantly, what you could do is just let somebody who might benefit from this family um, know that we exist. Also, uh, check out our social media, Light Revealed, on Instagram and Facebook. I'm really excited. Um, we're going to be launching the Light Revealed website soon, which is going to have all sorts of really cool features that's going to include space for the audience to engage, and I'm really, really hoping that you will. It'll be really, really meaningful, along with all sorts of other fun and exciting things going on. The Light Revealed, check out our books, Consciously, Six Steps, Living Vibrantly with Our Creator, Stepping Out of the Abyss, A Jewish Guide to the Twelve Steps. And online, you can find our Revealing Light reflection booklet that uh, went through all the different spheros of reflection, a prayer for each day. Not too late to jump in. It's available to download online. It's in the episode description. Lastly, questions, comments, concerns, Reach out to us on Instagram at the Light Revealed, or by email the Light Revealed at tlrfamily.org. I look forward to connecting. Okay, so this week we wade into the powerful waters of Yisod. Now, Yisod literally means foundation and secret, and it refers to our drive and capacity for connection, intimacy, and vulnerability. It also relates to our ability to tap in to the vulnerability and interiority of others, better known as empathy. Like T. Ferris and Das before it, Yisod emerges from the middle kav of the third triad of the Spheros, Nahi, representing the middle point between Hod and Netzach. Now, as we discussed in past episodes, and what I just referred to a second ago, the Spheros operate in a three-column construct of right, left, and center. On the right, we have Chachma, Chesed, and Netzach. These represent the aspects of life and spirituality, which exist above rhyme and reason. An awareness and sense that life is way more than what we see, more expansive than what we perceive. 
On the left side, we have Bina, Gvura, and Hod. These represent our need and desire to come back down to earth and be practical, where we generate reasonable living within the reality of the rhyme and reason within which we exist. At every stage along the way, before passing to the next level of right and left, the two binary poles meet in the center. The center kav is composed of Das, Tiferes, and Yesod, and are flanked on top and bottom by Kesser and Machos, but we'll discuss all that next week. These middle points are where the two extremes meet, but as we have discussed, they represent more than just a compromise. They aren't a compromise between right and left. They are where right and left meet to create a center that's greater than anything they could have done alone. As we discussed in episode three of this series, Tiferes, for example, is not only where Chesed, which desires to only give and to give unremittently, and Gevura, which seeks to create boundaries and withhold that which has not been properly earned, compromise and decide to move forward. Tiferes is, in its ultimate manifestation, where Chesed and Gevura find a way to completely be themselves without any compromise at all, but yet collaborate to birth a third energy, which is truer, more essential than anything they could have done themselves. Tiferes reveals a truthier truth that is neither better nor worse than Chesed or Gvura alone, but rather is an exquisite and essential energy that isn't obvious, but once it's there, you know it must be, and that it partners with Chesed and Gvura to create the second triad, the middle triad of the Spheros. Yisod represents the same thing for Netzach and Hod, a third essential point that emerges from their meeting, not a lesser compromise of either, but rather an essential truth and vital partner in the third triad of Nahi. As we have discussed in the two past episodes, Netzach and Hod are the plane of reality where our egos begin to form. They represent the capacity to do what we know to be true, to act in a way that is true to ourselves despite the consequences, that's Netzach, but yet also being able to not take ourselves too seriously, to laugh at ourselves, to acknowledge that we didn't get where we are alone and, are, and that we're the beneficiaries of so much privilege, where we practice setting ourselves aside sometimes to make space for others because we see that they also have vital energy to contribute as well. That's Hod. These right-left energies of Netzach and Hod fervent conviction and self-confidence about our truth and compassionate, humble acknowledgement of our limits and of the other collide in the center of a third layer of the Sphero's construct to manifest in Yesod. Yesod is the space where the ego becomes ready to meet other egos, fostering a passion that facilitates progress, creativity, and connection. Yesod is the foundation of our human interactions, the vital energy which allows family, community, and society to form. Yisod is where greater ideals concretize in the movements and ideologies in which action and change nest. Yisod is where our ethereal spiritual self meets yet other ethereal spiritual selves, where the inner infinite of our beings kiss. A powerful intimacy that drives us to live, to build, and to connect. The powerful space where our hearts and minds transcend the limitation of what we think and feel to affirm what we know to be true and real. This new energy, Yisod, stands at the foundation of all the spheros and of life, the culmination of our efforts to be. It reflects the secret of all reality, the interiority of our ideals and missionhood, the why of what we do, what we really wanted and were driving toward the whole time. 
intimacy, and connection. Okay, so this week we have a, an amazing guest, Chaim Guri. Now, I asked Chaim to describe himself. You know, each of our guests gives us a, uh, a little bio. And Chaim described himself as just a dude looking to reveal another aspect of his soul one day at a time. Chaim recently got married, as you'll hear in the episode. He actually came in to do this inter- interview during Sheva Brachos with his new wife, Sarah Bienenstock, now Guri. Sarah is a teacher in SKA in charge of Chesed in the Beis Medrash program, the Beit Medrash program, and she teaches algebra as well. If you ask Chaim, he would say she's amazing and smart, but also super cool. Chaim was a dorm counselor in Waterbury, and he's currently studying in the morning, and he's teaching at Yeshiva's Nishma Satora in the afternoons here in the five towns. Nonetheless, if you ask Chaim, he'll always say that wherever he goes in life, he'll always just be a Waterbury dorm counselor. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Chaim and Sarah, and uh, know you'll enjoy. Remember to have a blast today. Uh, so here he is. Okay, welcome back. Consciously. Revealing light, sharing light, something like that, Morty? Something. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we're in this new series, which we're really, really excited about. Um, series of interviews that we're going to do with young people. We're hoping to continue it again and again. Uh, in our early series of, of, of interviews, and we're hoping to do some more, we talk to people that are have done things, like done really remarkable things, and sharing with us, A, themselves, and uh, giving us an opportunity to get to know them, but also sharing kind of what has worked for them in their uh, journey towards excellence. So in this, in this series, it's a little bit different. Uh, we're looking to invite young people, people that have done a really good job at being young adults who are now on their journey into adulthood to join us on the podcast and give them a platform, a, a soapbox, you might say, to share their light, to share their perspective and their hope and their dreams and aspirations that we can all get excited about life and also maybe learn something really cool. So today we have a really interesting guest. We have with us Mr. Chaim Guri, uh, Harav, and uh, <laughs> formerly the, the, the recently retired dorm counselor at Waterbury mm-hmm. Durham High School. Um, and he recently got married just a few days ago, even though this podcast is going to come out much later when he's already a seasoned married man, but <laughs> he's literally in Shevabrachos. So that's really, really exciting. And he's joined here by his new Kala, Sarah, who's really, it's really exciting to have her. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so Chaim, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for, do- thanks Thank for doing you. this. It's exciting. It's exciting. really exciting. So we're going to talk about new life and we're going to talk about marriage and we're going to talk about love and we're going to talk about passion and maybe none of those things. Right. We'll see. <laughs> so just for the few people who don't realize who you are, how, like we just went to your wedding and there was like, I don't know, hundreds of Waterbury boys who thought you were a Rebbe. I mean, I know, you know, but, <laughs> but they, they, they didn't even realize, right? So who is it that you are? Um, so... I'm Chaim Guri. Right. So, I was born in South America. I, I was born in Chile, in Santiago. Both my parents um, were like Asia Torah people. They did a lot of that, and Kirov in South America. And then uh, we moved to Florida for a little bit, and then we ended up moving to Brooklyn. And then I uh, lived in Brooklyn for a little bit, and then I... For some reason, this is like an important part of my story, but I went to YFR for like a year and a half and then was kindly asked to leave and then I went to Waterbury. And I feel like that's kind of where my life like started happening again. Mm. Um, like there was like the chilly stage of my life and then there was like the darkness in between and then I went back to Waterbury. Then I went to Waterbury and it kind of felt like I was going back home in a certain way. And uh, 
I went to yeshiva there, and I've kind of just really, uh, to, to a large extent, I identified myself as a Waterbury Bachar for a long time. And uh, I was there in yeshiva, and then I did the Israel thing. It didn't really work out so well. So then I you know, worked for a little bit, and then I went back to Israel, and then I went back to Waterbury. But I would say like the greatest way that I would identify myself is as a Waterbury, a retired Waterbury dorm counselor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, they just got recently married. Yeah. What I would say about myself, I guess, like personality-wise, is that what we're doing over here? No, that was good. No, yeah. you did a great job. We're going to try to get to know you on a uh, Pnimi level. That's Pnimi the point level. of the question. Okay, so that's, that's basically what I am. Right. That's basically what I am. I'm a retired Waterbury dorm counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. It's perfect. It's great. Yes. Okay. So thank, thank you. Thank you for that. And and your and your Kala, Sarah, who are you? Uh, <laughs> Come on, tell us who you are. You're not you're not nobody. What'd you say? You're not nobody. No, no. I Saraguri, yeah, formerly Sarah Beanstalk. Guri, formerly Beanstalk. I grew up in the five towns. Just been a good kid my whole life, <laughs> trying to stay a good kid. <laughs> Making it real. That's it. Right. <laughs> And what do you do now? What do you do now? I teach an SKA. What do you teach? I'm a math teacher. A math teacher. Very, very cool. Actually, Nummy's here. Uh, if anyone's heard the podcast. Nummy was the, so to speak, shotgun. Can we say that you're the shotgun? Is that like the full thing? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Nummy was the shotgun. And she's also a math teacher, a math professor. So we're in the, uh, in the presence of greatness. Great shotgun also. All right. So we are the knuckleheads who marry geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's find out <laughs> what other knuckleheads think. Okay, so there's a series of questions that we ask everyone. Anyone who's heard our anyone who's heard our interviews before, we asked the same seven questions uh, in the previous series. The first questions are focused on getting to know our guest uh, on a pnimi level, on an interior level, uh, trying to get to know their spirit a little bit. And then the next four questions were focused on practical advice for life. So in this series, we're doing five questions. Uh, the first two are about getting to know you. Uh, Chaim, going to try to get to know you on that interior level. And then in the last three, kind of really trying to tease out some of the practical lessons that you've picked up and learned along the way and kind of the things that are driving you as guiding principles. That's kind of the focus. So the first question I asked you to think about was to kind of close your eyes for a minute and if you were to envision yourself in five years from now and imagine yourself in your most actualized moment, right? So you're at your best in the best version of you in five years from now, where would you be? Uh, what shoes are you wearing? And where are you headed? So this was actually a, a very cool question because the visual that I had was me being like five years in my relationship with Sarah and I was saying bye to her from work. I was about to go to, to on my mission. It wasn't necessarily like a specific job. It was either Kolel. For some reason, I felt like I was still in Israel. Going to learn or something like that, it was like a little bit of a... And I was just saying bye to her and there was like noise in the house. Whether it was children or whatever. And I was like saying bye to her and I was about to start walking, preparing to like set my intentions for the day for the mission that I was about to live, like doing God's will. That's kind of like what the most actualized moment that I was thinking mm-hmm. was like me in my blundstone still about to, about to leave and go to do whatever it is that God wanted me to do. It felt like I was going to go learn or go teach something within that realm. But it was like specifically for me, like the saying bye to like Sarah and whatever family was there and uh, going to prepare for like my mission in the world. 
That's yeah. really interesting. Okay, so there's a couple things he said in that in that answer. So you're wearing bloodstones now. <laughs> yes. <right? laughs> so part of that was like there's a part of your vision where because there's a part of your vision that's very different from where you are right now. You're like here. You're living in the five towns. Sorry, my condolences. And um, I'm just kidding. Five Towns is wonderful. <laughs> We're so lucky to live in such a wonderful place. We love you, Five Towns. Okay, but you're you're here, and you're kind of in this transitional stage where you're going to Israel, right? But so you're, but you feel like very connected. You want to feel very connected to where you are, right? So that's the the imagery of the shoes, right? Which is a obviously intentional in the question. Um, so there's a a part of you that wants to be connected to where you are, meaning there's an acknowledgement that you want to be. That you appreciate who you are, uh, but there's also like a sense of like how your life might change as time moves forward. Family develops, God willing. Noise in the house, whatever that is, and you talk about going out to do whatever it is that you're doing, your job. But primarily, we're talking about doing mission centric, right? And you talk about teaching or learning, studying, <clears throat> and you talked about trying to envision yourself in a place or not trying to envisioning yourself in a place where you might live that life intentionally. So that seemed to me to be a really important part of your aspiration, which is to grow into being an intentional person. Mm-hmm. Right? So on the one hand, you're kind of holding on to where you are now, meaning wanting to stay grounded in where you are. You have a vision for kind of an, expand, a more, an expanding life, but growing into a person who's intentional. Yeah. Yes? That's, that's yeah. That's Why beautiful. that? Why that? Why do you think that? Why is that so important to you to remain or to grow into an intentional person? Because realistically speaking, I don't know where life is going to take me, but I know that. I mean, it's taken you to a lot of different places. Yes. It's taken me to a lot of different places. And it's taken me to, and whenever I think that like I'm going to go somewhere, God always shows me that there's a better plan for me somewhere else. But Mm. something that I. That's why you wanted to keep that like open. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Right. And But I know that there's one thing that I have a mission in life, and that's doing God's will. And I know that like probably the most important part of doing God's will for me is like during the morning or before I get there to like tune into my mission. There's the mission of my family, which is like one thing. And then there's the mission that I will hopefully have to the world of contributing to the world. And kind of like mm-hmm. saying bye is like giving it that mindfulness and like just being there and then also just setting my intention for the day, for whatever it is that I'm going to be doing to kind of just remember like my value in the world, no matter what it is. So for me, like that's something that doesn't go away. Wherever it is that I'm going, I'm going to have that mission and to kind of just, I'm always going to have that or hopefully try to develop a place where I can be intentional in that mission towards what God's will for me is, whatever that mission is. Wow. Okay. So there's two things you said really, really significant. Uh, The one thing is that when we're looking at the world through this frame of mission, right, I'd say as a man, right, but I'm, I'm, this for sure applies to a woman, but, but I, you were talking about going out, you know, going out to accomplish, which is a, a more masculine-driven, it's not male or female, kind of masculine-driven energy, right? So you're talking about, like, well, there's my missionhood in my home, right, and that was part of that vision, saying goodbye to your wife. <clears throat> there's my missionhood at home. There's who I'm trying to be in my home, and then there's who I'm trying to be out in the world, mm-hmm. right? And that carries through in that intentionality, right? So that was one thing that you said. That's really, I like that. That's really cool. I should, I should practice that. No, <laughs> sweetheart, <laughs> she is not listening. Okay, so <laughs> I was saying I should try to be more intentional. 
<laughs> the other thing you really said is that as a guy, and this I really identify with personally, as a guy who's kind of been in many places in your life has taken you to many places. And oftentimes those places are not places that you would have anticipated. Having a sense of missionhood is the thing that grounds you. Right? Meaning that's the thing that doesn't go anywhere. No matter where my life takes me, whether it's Santiago, Chile, or Durham, you know, Connecticut, or Five Towns, or Israel, I have my missionhood, and that's what grounds me, and that's what gives my life a sense of stability. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So when did you realize that? Or is that like a new thought? I'm saying, is that like something that you realize along the way in your journey? I don't mean to get like too like like detail specific, but is there, was there like a point at which you realized that? I'll tell you a little something. It, when I was in 12th grade in yeshiva, I really wanted to be the Gadol Adar. That right. was my mission in life. Yeah. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Like not, not in a bad way. Right. That's just what I thought. But you go to yeshiva to become the Gadol Adar. You know what's funny? Like in, <laughs> like in a non-Orthodox Jewish context, if someone told you like, I wasn't, I wasn't, because so many guys struggle with this, right? And then they're embarrassed to admit it, right? But like, if you talk to a 12th grader, like in, in public school, like, my goal is to be the president of the United States. It's like, oh, wow, that's so, like, wow, that's so aspirational, right. wonderful. <laughs> but if you're like a Jewish Orthodox kid, and you're like, I, my goal is to be the gutter of the door. You'd be, you arrogant little, <laughs> such a funny thing, right? Okay, fine. So you were, you were trying to be the gutter of the door. I was trying to be the gutter of the door. Yeah. That was my game plan. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do, like to become the tzaddik, like right. to just be that person that I thought that I was supposed to be you just try your hardest and you just become the God Adar and like some people fail at it but if you try your hardest then you'll just become the God Adar and then uh, things just didn't work out that way for me and I was very very disappointed for a very very long time because I couldn't I, I didn't stay in the path I after one year of yeshiva in Israel I actually went to Florida and I was working there and I was I was not really in yeshiva at that point um, and uh I was very frustrated with myself, but then when I, I went back to yeshiva, I, for me, it was changing the, the context of what my, my mission was to just do God's will for me that day. And, and it, it came about through a lot of realizing that a lot of it is that what I'm trying to do is just, what is the point of being the Gadadar, quote unquote, is to just do whatever it is that God has in store for me. And if I can just let go of that grandiose plan of what it is to be like the most amazing person in the world and just tune into my mission, whatever it is at that moment, it's first of all, more mindful, more meaningful. And I could also just tune into what's really right for me at that moment. And I don't start doing what I'm, what I think everybody else has like in plan for me. And I start doing what I really believe is the right thing for me in the moment. And that kind of switch from like, trying to become the tzaddik or trying to be the gadadar or whatever, and just really tuning in to the day and who I'm supposed to be at during that day really changed a lot in my life. And it's allowed my relationship towards goals in general been, they'd be much better. Mm. That's a beautiful answer. You talked about that transition from uh, missionhood being kind of this objective status. Right? It's like, it's like when kids grow up and they find out there is no such thing as the God of Lador. There's no like committee of rabbis that get together and elect the God of Lador, right? <laughs> it doesn't even exist, right? right. But there's, so there's A, that idea that someone's missionhood is very, very subjective to their circumstance. And when there's a measure of acceptance about that, 
that fuels the ability to have acceptance about your life because now you're okay living your own journey because your journey is a reflection of your mission. And then what you talked about, which is really cool, is that the panemius of what you were looking for, like Gadol Ador was just a semantic exactly. that described Chaim, Chaimito being right. fulfilled and feeling self-actualized and feeling like he was on the right path. So like Gadol Hador was just a word that meant that, mm-hmm. right? So then you found out that you were allowed to pursue that without necessarily meeting a standard that someone else imposed or meeting some false, you know, title that that doesn't even exist. Exactly. Wow. Whew, gosh. Very intense. <laughs> <laughs> they say I'm intense sometimes. Yeah, 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 it's good. It's good. It's good you married up. It's good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, so the next thing I asked you, anything to add, sir? No, no, okay, you're good. I'm going to keep coming. Just whenever you're ready to jump in. <laughs> okay, so uh, the next thing I asked you to think about was a particular episode in your life, if you could share with the audience, a particular episode in your life that taught you something really cool about yourself. Uh, and what is it that you learned? Okay, so on the trend of being a Waterbury, ex-Waterbury dorm counselor. Right. Retired. Retired. It's right, retired. Emeritus. Give it some background. That was very energetic as a high school kid. I would like throw chairs in the beast matters. I was very energetic and Rabbi Kalish like loved that about me. And he really loved my energy and like allowed me like to express it in a lot of different ways. And it was very powerful. But then one time we were at, um, at a, a dinner, a Waterbury dinner. And I was like feeling very like I was stuck in my own head. And I was like just in my own, I was in my own head. And Rabbi Kayla started a circle dancing because that's just what he does everywhere he goes. He just starts circles and starts dancing in the middle of a dinner, which is a funny thing. But then like I was like in the circle and like I was just being like all calm and like polite and like I was just like in my own head. And he looks at me, he's like, you, you better start dancing now. He didn't like say it. He didn't say these words, but he looked at me, he's like, you got to start dancing now. You are the one with energy. You got to utilize that energy in the place that it matters. I remember there was like a deep shift within me mm-hmm. and I just started, cr- I started dancing like in a very energetic way with Rabbi Kalish, middle of the circle and the circle got very exciting. And it taught me that like, he taught me first of all, that there's a place for my energy. Mm-hmm. And he taught me that there was also not just a place for my energy. Usually the place where I want to use my talents is the place I don't really want to use it because I'm stuck in my own head. Right. And he's like, and he, he told, he taught me that like, mm-hmm. I don't need to feel it in order to do it. It's about getting out of my own head and just using the talents that God gave me. And if it's that energy that I have that can just make a circle more geschmack, mm. to use that and to just, and it taught me something about myself that like, I just have to sometimes just let go and just utilize the energy, the, like the crazy energy that he allowed me to express in the school to use it in order to make the circle of dancing by the Waterbury dinner more geschmack. Wow, so there's a lot in that story because what you're talking about is like as a kid, your exuberance, your intensity, your energy. Was that like putting your feet out in a window three stories up or something? I was just a Your wild father kid. was telling stories yeah. by the Chevron. It was very intense. I was like, oh, it's terrifying. Okay, so there's a lot of energy, a lot of wildkite, right? a lot of wildness in your story. And you had an association of how that was bad. Right, that was like a, a part of yourself that you were supposed to keep under wraps if you had any chance of being elected Gadolador. Right, exactly. Right, you're gonna have to get a, get a handle. <laughs> I'm really gonna have to get a handle on that if you want any chance of making the cut. <laughs> if 
only chance of getting the rose. Exactly. <laughs> you're going to have to, okay. So you're going to have to put it under wraps. So, because there was one part where, okay, so now suddenly you're realizing, suddenly you're realizing from your Rebbe's like encouragement that that same, very same energy, which is bad, is actually a good thing, right? Not only is it a good thing, but it can be used for other people. Right, it could be used to inspire other people. And then you jump in and everyone's getting all excited and happy. And suddenly the part of you that you're supposed to suppress becomes the part of you that you need to reveal. Exactly. Right? Which is very cool. Morty, look at that. It's hint, hint, light revealed, right? <laughs> so that's interesting because you associate like light revealed as like, okay, so I'm holding in this light because I'm embarrassed or I'm shy. But here you're talking about like where there's light in places where we associate as negative. And when we learn how to channel that outward, that's where it becomes very, very like exceptional and beautiful. That, that was one thing that really jumped out from that story. The, the other thing that really jumped out was the way in which you were talking about sometimes our strength that can be a weakness is most useful at the time when we don't really want to use it, right? which is annoying. Right. right? <laughs> yes. It's just when we don't want to use it that we need to like kind of lean into that intensity, right? So like you were just not interested. You were feeling like you wanted to be more introverted in that moment, but you need to get over yourself and then leverage that energy. Exactly. Wow, that's really cool. That's a nice thing to learn about yourself. It's interesting that a that a Rebbe can be so like a mentor, Mashpia, like a can be so impactful in someone's life, which is like a hand motion. Yeah, he was just like, like uh, uh, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Okay, so now we know you a little bit. Energized. Is it, do you think that's why you want to like teach people? Is that like part of that? I, 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 obviously, I was given such a great gift from my Rebbe. Like, just from not just that. Like, I have like a group of people in my life, like who've just given me so much goodness in my life, yeah. and I just want to be a part of those people that continue to do that. Right. Like just they've given me like a beautiful life internally and externally, like just in every possible way. I want to be part of the people that do that for other people as well. That share that outward. Yeah. Can I ask you a weird question? Yes. Sorry, maybe you wanna chime in here. So before you talked about this is this is interesting, because so before you talked about having intentionality about your mission at home and your mission outside. And you guys just got married, right? And you're talking about like going to Israel, learning in Kolel, doing outreach, whatever, whatever it is that you're going to do. Sorry, you're a teacher, right? So like there's a lot of, your missionhood is very other-centered. So how important do you feel it is that those things are interwebbed? Meaning on the one hand, like the mission at home is very separate from the mission outside. And then on the other hand, the mission outside and inside are very kind of connected and there's a sense of partnership about that. So A, how important do you think that is? How important do you think the separation is? And how much was that something you thought about it's, like, as you were going through the dating process? We've actually spoken about this a lot. But yeah. We could take it. No, 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 no. There you go. Tell, 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 tell. Chaim will correct you. It's okay. Okay, this is something that Chaim said though. At his Ofrof, he publicly thanked Derba Kalish for everything that he's done for him. And he said like, I like came to Rabbi Kalish. I was going to ask him for like some chizik or some like something about being a chassan, being like a good father, a family man. And he's like, actually, that's what he's been teaching me my whole life. Mm. Meaning like the whole separation of being like, 
I'm a father first, I'm a husband first, and then I come to yeshiva, and I'm actually a father for all of my students here also. It's, it's a separation, but it's a very like, important separation that they're both super, both home and school are both an extreme priority for you. For him, for Rabbi Kalish. For Rabbi Kalish, right. Yeah. So right. If, we're, if we're taking that mission outward, we would probably try to emulate it in a similar way. <laughs> right. Does that worry you? No. No. Like, it's not like it's something you're, like, nervous about that you yeah. won't, like, get the... It's actually interesting when Chaim was saying, like, where do you see yourself in five years? I, I had a similar image. Maybe it's just because we're just the two of us in our apartment right now, and we're like, oh, what should we do today? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was also like, oh, he's saying bye to me. I don't think I was wearing shoes, like in my in my vision. Like I have kids, I, I'm just running around. Bye, like have a great day. Right. It's it's a similar. It's a similar vision. Like yeah, image of the future. Wow, that's really nice. That's really cool. That's nice to have. Like yeah. to like have that sense. Yeah. What What do you think about that answer? So it's, thank you, sir, for jumping in. You were great. Thank you. Keep Very doing. Good. it. Keep doing it. Keep joining us. Maybe we'll get her for a full episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. Question is if I'll let you in the room right. when we do that. <laughs> it's funny. Rabbi Kalish really mentions this a lot. Yeah. He mentions this a lot. Um, he says that we were actually listening to this on the way to a show a couple of days ago. We listening to a show from Rabbi Kalish. And he's like, if your son's in yeshiva and you have 10 cookies, all 10 go to your son. Because the greatest wish of any student or anybody that's interacting with you is that they can be as close to you as family. So if you're not going to treat your family in a way that, that's extremely loving and that they come first, then anybody that really is or wants to be close to you will kind of keep a certain distance because they know that you don't treat your family well. Mm. So but it's not even about them, but it just reflects about what the, the real mission is to be, you know, Gomel Nafsho Yishcha said, to be a man of, a real person of kindness, gives to himself, his, his home. It, it's a light that comes from within, then to the people closest to you, and then continues to radiate forward it, and it has to work that way because anybody's greatest wish with somebody that's influencing is that they can be as close to you as family. Mm. So whatever. And Rebecca speaks about that a lot and it's wow. just like, it's a big priority that he always puts into all of us. So that sounds like it, it is conducive to creating a more unified, like outward expression. It's not like two separate things. Yeah. Like going back to your intentionality. Right, the intentionality is not then, if we were going to interpret it differently, the intentionality when you're leaving your house, uh, sir, apparently can't afford shoes, but whatever. <laughs> or doesn't I, want I that. I can't find them, actually. You can't find them. You just can't find them. Stu would kill me. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. They're going to have shoes. Kai's going to buy his shoes. It's going to be okay. Okay, so... <laughs> so, Chai, I'm saying goodbye. The in- okay, but, okay, we're talking about a, a vision and a, a dream, right? So that, that intentionality is not like, okay, my mission is here and my mission is there. My mission is unified. It has its expression there and here, and it's the same expression, just mm-hmm. expressed outwardly more. Exactly. Wow, that's interesting. More insight into this light revealed thing because you're revealing the same light outward more yeah we're not being fakers like oh this is well, it's not different light it's not different light it's the same right. light exactly yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting okay so now we know you a little better <laughs> okay we know sorry a little bit now we're gonna jump into some practical wisdom 
like just practical ideas that that really have helped you to be you and uh, earn the right to marry a math teacher. Okay, I don't think I'm a really really cool person. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with the math teacher because nobody's in the room, so it's like very. But I'm you know I'm sure much more. Okay, so the next question was, what was the wisest lesson you ever learned, and who taught it to you? So it, it's funny, it's all really in the same theme. And it's what's coming to mind right now is the, I don't know if it's the wisest lesson I've ever learned. It's definitely an extremely powerful lesson in my life. And it's it's the visual of my Rebbe, Rebbe Kalish. Again, I'm speaking a lot about him. And it's, uh, he's giving this whole sheer in front of tons of people. He's very, it's Shalsha this. It's like a really important time and it's like really just, it's grand and it's like the end of the year. This story has happened countless times also, but basically his son comes running in. How old is his son? His son, at different stages, it's been different. different okay, times. okay, okay, okay. But the story's happened countless times. Okay. His son comes running in and he's yeah. in the middle of giving, or years ago it was his daughter. Yeah. And um, come running in. Stops everything. Starts talking to his son in middle of his drusha. Yeah, and like we're all like, you just like, what, what are you doing? Like you're middle of like going and revealing to us like the deepest things in the world, and now all of a sudden your son's right there, and it's like, what? Like what? Like you just stopped everything, and you just your son is the only focus in the entire world. Mm. And um, for me, that look, I I grew up, and I not not to not to say that in in, in any in any bad way at all. I grew up from parents that were both Isha Torah rabbis and Rebbitzin, and they had that as well. But to see that expressed from other people, to see that like the most important thing in the world right now, I'm middle of talking to people, changing their lives, changing their essences. Right. I'm Shalashudis, Drusha, and it's like the biggest thing in the world, to, at least to me as the student from this, from, from my, from my Rebbe. And all of a sudden his like little son comes in and he's like, Asking for a green lollipop, and I'm not. I'm not saying like the literal story. Right, right, no, okay. No, the green lollipop it. instead of the yellow lollipop. He likes the yellow, and he's like fully with it. Fully with it. Let's go of everything that's happening up there and like the biggest things in the world. Right. And then his son right now is the biggest priority. Spends like a minute there, and then continues back again. And it's like the same fire that he was giving in before. And it's like, I guess it's it's that idea right there that's just like so powerful for me because like it just means that like. This whole thing is inclusive because it's not just like the biggest thing in the world and it's only meant for like the big, it's like this light that he's giving me is literally there to take care of his children. It's the same thing. And if his child comes over, it's like, just like, he's just there for his, for his child that moment. And it's just such a powerful thing for me to watch because. What, what's the lesson? Like, you don't have to. Like in order to matter, you don't have to be a big deal. Like what? What? What is it that like that story? I mean, it's very sweet. It's very nice, but clearly, like Rabbi Kalish stopping in the middle of his his lecture, his drusha, and and drawing his attention towards his child says something to you. It gives you marching orders. Yeah. Right. So, what are those marching orders? Which I guess part of what you're saying is like it allows me to feel less conflicted. I feel more unified in my sense of mission. What's the life lesson that you're drawing from that? I would say two things. One is that 
obviously from the story is that the most important mission is the mission at home. Like the most important mission is the mission at home. Your son comes running anywhere you're at and you just go and take care of him. Mm. But then another thing that's in itself just a huge thing. Yeah. But another thing for me is that whatever it is that God puts in front of him at that moment, he deals with it because it's also been people. There was one time a guy that was like a little bit, not a hundred percent and like slapped him in the face. And like, he just stood there, took it in. I don't know what his internal world was like, but he stopped for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, and like just, con- and then continued going. It's like, whatever it is in front of me at this moment is exactly what God wants for me. And that's a huge marching order because it's like taking in every moment as it is. And like, I could be dealing with the most holiest thing in the world, which I think, but then God puts in front of me something else. And I deal with that with the same value because it's exactly what God wants in front of me at this moment. Mm. Wow. Okay. It's it's beautiful. It's really nice. Um, I asked you to think about a a spiritual story or a proverb, a saying, uh, something, some cliche line, you know, that's really beautiful. Something that best reflects your outlook on life. And what's the guiding principle that you take from that? Okay. So again, it's all very like in the same. That's okay. Yeah. I've heard it from three different big, big rabbis. It's either a story about the Berdichever, the Alta Rebbe, or Rav Yisrael Salanter. No, those are big ones. Yeah. Those, those are big three, ones. Three big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all on Yom Kippur night. Yeah. And they're about to start Kol Nidre. All elected. Oh, right. All elected <laughs> big ones. And then there's, uh, they, all, all, it's like, they leave. I'm, I, you have to tell me if I'm, it's the shul and it's the biggest night of the year and whatever. And then all of a sudden, they leave before Kol Nidre or they leave. And then like, Everyone's like, what's happening? What's happening? And all of a sudden, like you, basically the story is that he goes and there's a lady that's giving birth or a lady that needs help tending her, her child or there's somebody else that's in need right? that nobody else is able to take care of because they're all trying to do the big Yom Kippur thing. Right. And then the, this big rabbi goes and goes and takes care of this lady that needs to, that needs to give birth or feed, the, feed, feed a baby. A baby was crying. Right. Whatever the exact mechanics of the story were, right. they always go from like Kol Nidre night on Yom Kippur to go help out this lady or this guy that's not going to shoe. Right. Like they care about this individual that nobody else is taking care of. Yeah. And then they come back, take care of that person, and then they can come back and do this like grand spiritual thing. Right. And like and the principle that I take from it is very similar to this. It's like there's there's an idea of like spiritual materialism, which one of my rabbis talks about a lot. Okay. Which I can turn spirituality into materialism. Like I could turn like the cold Nidra night into like another thing that I'm just using to make myself feel good. Or I can ground myself in like the spiritual principles of being there for people mm. and like really understanding what the priorities in life are. It's cold Nidra night. I am the biggest person in the room. Like I am the highest person ever. And then no, 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 no. I'm going to go and take care of that lady who needs, who needs to tend her son. I'm going to take care of this person who's in need because nobody else is able to take care of them at the moment. And like, kind of like that deep understanding of like what the priorities and what matters most is like, it may not feel good. It may not be the best thing in the world. It may not look to the rest of the world. It's like, what is this man doing? You're letting like cool Nidre go. You're, you're sacrificing so much because of, but they're just like doing whatever it is that God has in front of them at that moment. And for me, like that's just such a big 
story. It means so much to me. I'm saying I've heard it from Rabbi Shlomo Salanter, Rabbi Yitzchok and I've yeah. heard it from the Alter Rebbe, yeah. all in different, in different, in different forms. And it's it's a just it's a story that that really is like reflects this idea of, of of letting go of myself and just taking care of whatever it is that God has me do at that moment, and also understanding that like all the good things in the world, I could be feeling so spiritually grandiose. But if there's someone in need, I'm going to go take care of them. Right. Wow. So first of all, the fact that it's there's Those a three. similar story said about three different people, which opens the door to so much reflection. Because first of all, even if it only happened to one person, and even if it happened to none of them, the fact that we tell the story about them exactly right reflects a lot. Right. The the uh, in terms of authenticity, the Rebbe told over the story of the of the Alter Rebbe. So there's like a very authentic meaning historically speaking. Right, the Rebbe wouldn't have told that over if he didn't. It didn't have a direct right. heritage that that occurred. Right, so the, the Alter Rebbe left, you know, uh, Kol Nidre to go, you know, care for a woman who had given birth instead of asking someone else to do it. And right. to him, that was obvious. Right, right, and that has to do with that intentionality about what's really important. And you talked about making spirituality. What, what, did you, what was the word? Materializing spiritual, spiritual? Spiritual materialism. Spiritual materialism, which is kind of like taking something that's spiritual and turning it into, you know, pomp and worship of other things, right? You can like make idols, you can make the holiest thing into an idol. Exactly. Right? Which is very, very like intense, right? And really the, the underlying um, theme, <clears throat> the underlying theme that you highlighted has to do with the nature in which uh, personal identity and ego plays into that. The great me, the great, I'm doing Kol Nidre, you know, the caring for that person, that's for other people, right? So when a person's lost in that place, right, trying to, running for, to be elected, then it's very hard to kind of see the truth, right? But as a person abandons that, perhaps, and that's the, like, I guess that's the marching orders that you're gaining and what, what it is. And just to be true to this, to this interview series, we're talking about the kind of principles that you want to, that you aspire to put into practice in your future life, right? You're not sharing what you are, right? right? You're sharing what you're hoping to become, exactly. right? And that's really powerful because it also invites all of us. Like, I'm feeling like, oh, this is amazing. I should really do that. <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> sounds like a good idea, no, city, Right. <laughs> So, so <laughs> it sounds like a really good idea. So, but, th- but that's kind of this aspirational idea that like, let me step aside from trying to be a big deal into doing what's really important. Right. That's something that, that runs the core of what Judaism is, whether you're Rabbi Salant or Kedush Slavi, Alter Rebbe, right. e- even when you're a big deal. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So finally, I asked you to, Think about and share with the audience what the most vital spiritual practice you have. So for me, it's getting up in the morning and really just, if I don't do this, I'm really not good. I need to like just spend some time with myself, just praying and really just tuning in. Like I need to talk to God from my own words not necessarily like chakras or or anything like that. At that moment, I need to really get up, wash an do the whole thing, but then just get up, talk to God, and pause. 
just pause my day right away and, and just really kind of like that intention, but like first thing in the morning before anything else, because I just, I need to do that. I need to get up in the morning and, and pray and meditate. Sometimes my meditation is reading something like inspirational. Sometimes it could be just doing like a guided meditation. Um, sometimes it could just be pausing and just listening in to the sounds and just of, of whatever it is that is around me. Sometimes it's tuning into my own silence. Sometimes it's listening to music. It, it's very evolving and then praying as well and like speaking to God and asking him to allow me to be guided, to be guided, to do his will every day, to really just allow me to let go of myself and like my self-pity. I wake up with a lot of, uh, a lot of emotions. You can even ask her. She's already witnessed it. And I need to just kind of just go in to my, to my zone and tend and care of myself and kind of really pray to God that, he, he's, that I can be a channel of his light into the world. In whatever form or manner that is, it, it doesn't have to be grand. It, it's usually not grand. It's not grand at all. It's, it's, it's usually just like wiping the snow from the top of the car so it doesn't fall on another person. But it's about in creating those intentions first thing in the morning and, and meditating and seeing how I'm checking in on myself a little bit. I wake up very tangled up and kind of just allowing God to just enter my life and to tune him into my life because I forget every morning I wake up and I forget about God and to kind of just pray and meditate and, 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 and zone in to what it is that I, that God needs of me today and what I need. Cause if I don't do that, I, I, I walk around very, I start emotionally bleeding on everything. I, 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 my ego gets in the way of everything it still does. But if I don't have that morning where I can Morning is just code word for whenever it is that I get up, that I spend some time in, in just reflection, meditation, prayer, and it has to be real. It, it can never be rote. Sometimes I'll like write up my own prayers to do, and I'll start saying them for a long time. And then I get stuck in that saying my own personal prayers that I'm saying, but it's all rote. And I, and I have to do it again. I have to do it different ones. I have to really talk to God for myself, kind of zoning into the part of myself that, that is deeply in touch with God and kind of like allowing that part. And it's not easy all the time to talk to God from that space, to kind of pause the chaos that's happening all around me, to tune in to God and to ask, him to allow me to do his will and to let go of myself in order to do his will. And I, I just, that's, if I don't do that in the mornings, it's, it's not good news for me. I get very caught up. I usually get very like upset at people. I get, I get afraid of life. I get afraid of things. I get very insecure. And if I, when I pray and when I, when I talk to God from my own words and not just my own words that I wrote down, but from within the deepest parts of myself. And I'll ask him to guide me throughout the day. My day has a different meaning. It has a different way that it exists. And, and, and it's, I have to be honest with myself about that as well. It's, it's a very evolving process to, to be able to do that because I can get caught up in the habit of doing the same thing over and over again. And this specific tool that I have, spiritual practice that I have, cannot be habitual. Shachras sometimes could be habitual for me. Mincha and sometimes other things that I do could also be habitual for me. But this one specifically, the, 
the the only way it's beneficial for me is if I it's completely not habitual. It has to be from within myself, or else I'm not tuned in. I have to specifically tune in. That's that. Wow. Okay. So you said a lot of really cool things. First of all, you're you're touching on a very on a very specific theme that you have talked about throughout this. There's a definitely a, a line of connection between a lot of things, even though they're not all the same at all. Not at all. But there's a there's a de- there's definitely kind of a connectedness. But what you're keying into here, just to highlight it, is you're talking about the way in which the intentionality that you were talking about in that first question, how important that is in your relationship with God and how that acts as a protection against the kind of like getting lost in the ego conflict of adding up or kind of making the cut or being enough as opposed to owning your missionhood and directing your attention to what's most important and directing your attention to what life is really about for you as opposed to like just you know, getting a certain status as opposed to like being your best you and channeling your light in the way in which it's it's meant to, i.e. through the way in which the creator of the universe intends, right? And that requires this kind of, the intentionality of tapping into God, which then you said really, really articulately, that's what I was looking, you really articulated well, the, the conflict around that relationship because it's not something that you can continue. It's not something you could just do like, okay, I found the path toward that inner place inside of me where I connect with God at that place of depth that allows me to accept myself and therefore be tolerant of others and then manifest myself most effectively. I found it and I'm just going to do that again and again and again and again and again. Like I found the exercise routine that's great for me and great for my body. Like that's not going to work. Right here, I have to like continuously innovate and be creative and find new pathways to open the door towards that authentic connectedness, which is a critical component to be able to kind of check back in so that you can stop trying to be the God of the door right. and be the best Chaim Guru. Being the you can be. Something like that. West. <laughs> okay, Chaim, it's great. So, even though this is going to be released later, Mazel Tov, guys. Great, thank you for joining us. We're really looking forward to Sarah joining joining for her own episode. Maybe we'll let Chaim be here. Maybe we'll make him sit outside of the couch. <laughs> it's really, really great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Consciously Family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tzipora Bas Ravaro. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our audio engineer is Alps. And our artwork is by Tani Puz. Our social media team is led by Tehil Nassanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanukman. And our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zush. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at The Light Revealed.